rest of you, if you'll turn to Psalm 34, we're going to continue in our study of Psalm 34. As the children are dismissed, you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the pew back in front of you. You're welcome to use that. Psalm 34. Last week we looked at this psalm and introduced a series called ABCs of True Happiness and the fact that we need to uh, one source or one way of true happiness is living in a way to praise the Lord. Be praising the Lord with consistency, with cause, and with conviction. And so I really encourage you last week to taste and see that the Lord is good. And Psalm 34. I read a story this week of a captain of a ship that was, uh, he was, you know, in charge of his ship in a very dark, foggy night, and in the distance he could see some lights, and he told his messenger, whoever those people are, to send a message to the vessel, alter your course 10 degrees, 10 degrees south. And so the message came back and it said, you alter your course 10 degrees north. And uh, he sent another message back and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. And the message came back again. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm seeming third class Jones, which is like bottom of the barrel in the Navy. Okay. Uh, then he got angry. And he was trained, he decided, I'm going to scare the living daylights out of this guy. And he, and he sent another message that says, alter your course, 10 degrees south, I'm a battleship. And then the message came back, alter your course, 10 degrees north, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the life that we're living here in our culture, we can go here in Akron, Otis, Brush, Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins, wherever we might live or reside. And there is a fog in our culture with voices calling out to us from all directions of what is true. But there is one clear and dependable voice that is above all of them, and that is the voice of the Lord as He speaks to us. And we have to choose to fear Him rather than fear these other voices. But the problem is, is we can dread surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Surrendering our lives to the Lord and listening to Him. We can worry about lacking good things in life. If I surrender my life to the Lord, man, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out on some good things. We might worry, we might miss out on a promotion if we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're identified as a Christian. We might worry that we might suffer poverty and that God might ask us to give something and we might have to struggle in life and we might be impoverished. We can believe the lie that a godly life is a miserable life. And so we hesitate to devote ourselves to the Lord and it's really a lack of trust and appreciation for who the Lord truly is. We talked that we've been talking about this in Sunday school in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. And then it progresses into deeper and deeper sin, but it started with an act of unbelief. And here in Psalm 34, we visited this last week, 
that the heading of this psalm reads, the psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, which was a dynasty title like Pharaoh. And so his name was actually Achish, and this is uh, connected with 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you weren't here last week. But this psalm is written with this historical memory of David in mind. A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. And I pointed out to you last week, as I rehearsed from 1 Samuel chapter 21, what happened. I want you to see this. Ask yourself, did David's life, when he chose to live it apart from God, and live life his own way, not surrendered to God, was it a happy life? Was it a fulfilling life? If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, this passage that I'm talking about, and you read about his time in Gath, I think it's verses 10 through 17, you read about that, you realize that because he chose to live life unsurrendered to God in fear of man instead of fear to God, it led to tragedy. He lied to a priest called Ahimelech and said that Saul sent him there to Nob, and then he lied to him, and then he fled, and then King Saul accused that priest of treason and killed him and all his sons except for Abithar, who became high priest. So it led to the murder of someone else, because David lied and didn't tell him the truth. And he did that out of fear, because he didn't fear the Lord. Second of all, uh, his own way uh, led to imprisonment. There in Gath, he's recognized as the king, the next king in Israel, And according to Psalm 65, they seized him and put him in prison. There in Gath. And then also, David's own way led him to a very humiliating act where he grovels on the floor, he acts crazy, he's he's clawing at the doors of the city gates, and he's foaming at the mouth, a very humiliating act, in order to try to deceive this king in Gath. And it didn't work, apparently. But he turned to the Lord. And so the context, if you weren't here last week, is David is looking back at this time in his life and he regrets what he did. But last week, I pointed out that as he looked back, he just didn't um, um, swim in his own guilt and shame and regret, but he saw the goodness of the Lord at that time in his life. And how when he turned to the Lord, the Lord delivered him and worked in the heart of King Achish and he sent David away, which normally he would have been put to death as being an enemy, a spy, or even a crazy man. And here the Lord, David testifies that the Lord is more than enough. In verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. We're going to go beyond that. We're going to study the next section of this psalm, verses 9-16. through 16. And the Lord will be more than enough for you. He is good, but He's also generous. I want you to see this in verse 9. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. As I started out my message today, a lot of people look and they consider devoting themselves to God, surrendering their lives to God, trusting the word of God. They consider that to be a handicap. Even as we have looked at the Truth Project on Wednesday nights, people have considered You know, secular scientists have considered that Christianity and the Bible is for the weak. And that is the viewpoint of our world. As they look on us, they see us 
as weak people because we put our faith in, uh, in a God that we can't prove or we can't see and we put our blind faith in the Word of God. I'm glad that I'm weak. I'm glad that I'm weak. And I, I have a realistic view of myself. Because as we've been talking about in Sunday school, our resources are only available to a certain extent. And then you fall short. And the thing is, as we have been studying the Truth Project on Wednesday nights, we've realized that people like Carl Sagan, they have put their faith in some higher being, aliens, <laughs> namely, because they are looking for some being that can help them, that they can put their faith in. And others do that in other ways as well. And so what is the fear of the Lord? You know, I, I've talked about the fear of the Lord a little bit with my dad, and he was saying that a lot of people are afraid of the Lord. You know, they've done something in the past like David here, and then they feel guilty and ashamed, and they feel like they can't come before the Lord. But the fear of the Lord that I'm talking about today, and we're not supposed to be dominated by fear. We're not given a spirit of fear according to the New Testament. But God commands us to fear Him. I mean, even Solomon, who had everything available to him, wrote at the end of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep His commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. Uh, children that are in here, Proverbs says, the, big, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, we all need to start here, but what is the fear of the Lord? And one word, reverence. But let me break it down a little bit more than that. Um, it's a respect for the Lord's discipline in your life. And that's probably what you think about when you think of the fear of the Lord. You think about Him getting back at you because you messed up. Or His correction, or His discipline, His power is maybe what you think about. And that is true. That is one aspect of it. But also we need to have a respect for the Lord's position over us or His authority over our lives. Another aspect of the fear of the Lord is a respect for the Lord's purpose in our life. What He's called us to do. And also... Uh, his precepts or his boundaries that he's put in our life. And those are, of course, in the Word of God. So, how does, how does a person's heart, how does, it, how does it affect a person's heart when they fear the Lord? First of all, they submit to the Word of God. And then second of all, we see, we're going to see in these verses, verses 9 through 16, words of seeking. You know, you see the word seek, and then you see the word pursue, and others that are in here. You know, they're not wanting, they're looking for something. And that's another aspect of how it changes your life. Not only do you submit to the authority of God's Word, but you seek after His will for your life. You say, I want to do what God, and it's motivated by love, by the way. You know, when we talk about love, uh, loving the Lord, why do we do that? Because He first loved us. It's a, it's a respect and it's a awe because of who He is and what He's done in our life. So David calls out to the saints here, Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. And that's the choice on the table today for you and for me. Am I going to choose to fear the Lord? Am I going to choose to walk away from the Lord and be ashamed of him? The ABC is a true happiness. First of all, praise the Lord. Second of all, fear the Lord. Jesus said this in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And when you fear the Lord, David talks about this here, when you fear the Lord, life is going to be more fulfilling. It's going to be fulfilling, not just more fulfilling. It's going to be fulfilling. A godly life is a fulfilling life. And let me point out the different reasons. 
Uh, This section is really divided up into couplets. So every two verses is a couplet. And so we'll read it in that way. Verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. How is the godly life a fulfilling life, an abundant life? First of all, God promises, and David testifies here, you will not lack provision. You may say, oh, wait, hold on. That is so untrue. How can you make that kind of statement? And we look at the, we look at these verses, and we say, you know, I've not, I've done without. I've been poor. I've suffered poverty. I haven't gotten what I think I need. I want to just share a couple of comments from preachers that have, um, well-known preachers, Warren Wiersbe, first of all, preacher um, in Nebraska. He provides all, he writes about this verse, he provides, God provides all that we need when we need it. And I thought it was ironic that the largent said that very thing in their letter in regards to their container being arriving. Charles Spurgeon said this, Many whims and wishes may remain ungratified, but real wants the Lord will supply. And... Even David testifies this in Psalm 37, if you want to turn over just a little bit in verse uh, 25. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And I could go on. There's more verses than that that talk about how God does not allow his people to starve. That he does provide for their genuine needs, their greatest needs in their life, and he does provide for them. Uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, if you just want to write this down, verses 30 through 33, Jesus commands us not to worry about food, clothing, and shelter like the Gentiles, like the unsaved do. Because the Lord knows that you have need of them and He will provide them. But He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I, I would say that fearing God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that you're worried about and you're anxious about shall be added unto you. Because God promises it and He will do it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul writes to the Philippians, a very impoverished church who is giving out of their uh, poverty to allow the Jerusalem church to have food and meet their needs while they're undergoing persecution. And Paul writes, but my God, shall supply all your needs, you Philippians, you, the church there in Philippi. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And not only just providing for our needs, but also working in our life. You know the verse, Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, that fear God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And I think that's exactly the same thing. Is that it goes back to the goodness of God. That God will not withhold one good thing for His saints. Those that love Him and that fear Him. And one of the temptations that you and I have is that, you know, we have an opportunity to give to a need and we say, or we know like we're impoverished and we're working on a budget and we ha- we're on a budget and... You know, that tithe, man, that looks really good right now around Christmas time. We need some extra money for Christmas, right? And we want to take that away, you know, and we want to, and we can say, well, God's not going to provide for us if I give him 
what he asked for. And it's not that God says, you have to give me only 10%. But I use that as an illustration. Same thing with a job. And it's not about money. God provides for his own. But go to taking a stand for Christ at your workplace or in the community. Or you speak up when someone is um, doing something wrong or saying something that is untrue about God, about his word, and you take a stand and you know you're going to face the heat and you choose not to do it. Why? Because you're worried that you're not going to get what you need. And uh, as we talked about in Sunday school, one of the thoughts that that we are thinking about that is wrong with anxiety is that we think we're not going to get what we need or what we deserve. And that is an act of unbelief. And so when we fear God, you will lack no provision, no genuine needs in your life. Second of all, verses 11 and 12, you will lack no profit in life. It says in verses 11 and 12, Come, ye children, David commands, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? And you'll notice here in verse 12 that some of the words, in the King James Version at least, are italicized. Some may read it without the italics here because they have been supplied. What man desireth life, loveth days, that he may see good? Okay? So David's saying, hey, who wants a life to be have fulfillment in life? Who wants to have a good quality life? And that's what he's talking about. Um, it's not promising long life. Um, we, we know that can't be true because we've known people. If you read the Daily Bread today, we read about Stephen. He died young. Why? Because he feared God. So good Christians have died. People of God, prophets have died. But, you know, at a young age, standing up for the truth of God's Word, preaching God's Word, declaring what uh, God had says, thus saith the Lord, and they have died. So have God-fearing people died young? Yes. But have they wasted the days that God gave them? No. And I believe that's what it's talking about. Long life, when the Scriptures talk about many days, is talking about the days that God gives you. About the quality of those days. The abundance of those days. The quality of your days on earth. And the fact of the matter is, as many Christians, I believe, have been given certain amount of days, but a lot of times they go home to be with the Lord early, sometimes, because they're living in sin and bad testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know this because of Acts chapter 5. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, I don't have to prove this. You look there yourself. And he took them. Uh, The purpose of this, according to verse 12, is that he may see good, or he may see profit or success. Now, this may not necessarily be what the world defines as success, like popularity, possessions, or position in society. That can happen, but not necessarily. But success, as God defines it, is godly character, godly faith, and godly desires in one's life. And God prospers those who fear Him, who devote their lives to Him, and surrender their lives to Him. And I want to, if you want to write down these verses, or just write down this name, Joseph, in Proverbs, uh, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 39. I want to just share this as an illustration when he's in Potiphar's house or before he's in Potiphar's house. It says in verse 1 of chapter 39 of Genesis, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down from the promised land from Canaan. And the Lord was with Joseph, 
and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, now get this, an Egyptian, an unsaved Egyptian man who worshipped, you know, some god of death, Nubis, and all these other sun gods like Ra, okay? He, he worshipped these demons. But he looked at the life of Joseph. In verse 3 it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, a little bit later, you're gonna read, you'll read that he had encounters with Potiphar's wife, and she was a very promiscuous woman. It was very common in that day for the women and the men to be unfaithful to each other, and she entices him to commit adultery several times, you know, enticing uh, Joseph to do that, and he flees. But we see that when he withstands her pursuits of him, because he was a handsome and a good-looking man, the scriptures say, that he said, how can I do this when Potiphar's been so good to me? But he ends it with this. And I believe it's for emphasis. How could I do such a thing in the sight of God? Joseph had a fear of God at 17 years of age, by the way, or a little bit thereafter, when he was being pursued by Potiphar's wife and he was in the household of Potiphar. So he was thrown in prison a little bit later. In verse 20, It says that Joseph's master took him and put him into prison because he was falsely accused and a place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in the prison. But the Lord, again, was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And the thing is, is that when you devote your life to the Lord and you fear the Lord, you're surrendered to Him, you're not going to starve and you're not going to fail because you're going to be succeeding according to what God says in His Word. You're going to have this godly character, this godly life, and pursuing these godly desires in your life. And then verses 13 and 14, you will lack no peace in life. And we're talking about in regards to relationships with others. Okay, It says in verse 13, Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. A person who fears the Lord pursues peace. It's a pursuit. It's not something that comes easy. It's something that requires work. Okay, So if you're lazy, sorry, it's not going to work out for you. Okay, Fearing the Lord takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes a lot of effort, first of all, to guard your words. Verse 13. James chapter 3 talks about if you control the tongue, man, you've controlled something powerful. Because such a small member of our body can can cause so much destruction. He uh, illustrates it with uh, a fire. And you can even think about it with the wildfires that happen around here in Colorado in the mountains, how just one cigarette, one uh, match, can, uh, one poorly managed campfire can cause acres and acres of uh, wildlife to be killed and forests to be burned down. And even a lightning strike, just one little spark of heat can do that. And the problem is, is that we speak a lot of times our mind thoughtlessly. We just, we're like, well, I just speak my mind. Well, stop it. Okay? <laughs> I mean, we sometimes brag about that. Well, I just speak my mind. 
You know, no one's going to mess with me. I'm going to speak my mind. You're declaring your own ignorance and your own ungodliness when you say that. You're telling us, hey, I have, I have an unfearing heart of God. Okay, my heart is not very afraid of God. And um, we're putting ourselves in the position of God when we, first of all, speak evil of others. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth, guardeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. And one of the things that causes the most um, division and strife in a church and a family and a marriage is not watching this. Right, guys? <laughs> I know. That's me at least. Uh, I get in the most trouble with this. But speak not evil. And that word evil is talking about corrupt communication, corrupt language, uh, language that defiles. You think about the curse words that are used in our society. They're like, oh, what's wrong with, you know, hell, you know? It's a Bible word, but if you take it in a very vain or trite manner, what are you doing? You're saying it's not a real place. Ha <laughs> ha! It's like Santa Claus, or it's like, you know, um, the North Pole and there's elves up there, you know? I'm going to kid around about hell. No, hell's a real place. And we need to make sure that we talk about it in a literal sense, like Jesus did. Jesus never said, uh, never used it in that way, saying God's name in vain, you know? Uh, so you think about the curse word. You, you, it's either a very uh, poor way of basically taking Bible words and making them common, okay, and making them very trite and losing their meaning, or it could be language that talks about waste. You know, we think about the curse words in our society, it talks about waste, and then sexual innuendo. Corrupt. That's exactly what they are. They're evil. They're corrupt. Communication should never be on the mouth of a believer, you know. And uh, not that you're going to hell if you say that, but you know, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you need to get right with God if you've been using that. And you've been, the corrupt communication has been coming out of your mouth. Um, also, speak not lie. I, no, I haven't finished with that. Hold on. So, corrupt uh, language, but also the tearing down of others. And I thought about this. I was reading the news this morning. Some lady was complaining that CDOT has been putting up messages of how many people have been killed. Uh, on the roads here in Colorado. That's so negative. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. I just It just makes me feel so depressed as I drive around Denver or Boulder or wherever she's at. And so, you know, and I, I she thinks about this communication. Well, why are they doing that? And CDOT has defended why they're doing that. They're trying to correct a problem. <laughs> so when someone corrects you, that doesn't necessarily mean they're tearing you down. But they're correcting you. But I'm talking about when I say tearing down, I'm talking about you idiot, stupid, blockhead, whatever you want to put in there. That kind of language that shouldn't be on the mouth of a believer. And so speaking not evil, but also speaking not guile or lies. And how can that be seen in our lives as Christians? Bragging, exaggerating, and gossiping about others. Incites covetousness and bitterness. And we see also that he talks about not only our words, but our ways. We need to guard our words, but also guard our ways. In verse um, verse 14, here it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. First of all, avoid what God calls evil. Okay, temptation. Things that are going to appeal to your 
desires to do something that God has forbidden you to do. By the way, God's not bad for putting boundaries on us. I'm so glad God has boundaries in His Word. I'm glad I don't have to go and live life and say, you know what, I'm going to try this, or I'm going to try that, and I'll just see if it works out for me. I'm so glad God looked out for me and He put in His Word some commandments, some precepts, some boundaries, some hedges, so that I don't have to suffer like so many people do in our, in our country, in our society, in our town. Also allow what God calls good in your life. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, forgiveness and love and etc. Um, going back to Joseph. Okay, I'm not done with Joseph as an illustration. In chapter 50, uh, his father dies. Let me read this in verse 15, Genesis 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will perhaps hate us for selling him into slavery. Okay? and send him to Egypt, and will certainly requite or pay us back all the evil which we did unto him. And when Joseph hears about that, he calls his brothers to him, and he speaks to them in this way in verse 19, and pursues peace with them. He says unto his brothers in verse 19, Fear not, now pay attention, this is very important, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? That sounds like the fear of God to me. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your children and your grandchildren and any other. And ye and, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Now, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he quotes these verses in verse 13 and 14. And so I'm going to make an application that God's Word makes directly to you and me. And it's to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, this is written, Finally, be ye, of all, uh, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful or merciful. Be courteous or respectful. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. Don't don't seek revenge. Don't, um, don't return evil words with evil words, in other words. But contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he, this is our verses here, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him excuse or depart from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And so it's a direct application for you and me here in the church. Many times here in this body, this local body of Christ, people who have trusted in Jesus as their personal Savior, a lot of times we can, we can be fighting one another. And we can be shooting at one another, not with guns, but with you know, evil speech and evil actions and revenge and bitterness and you know, gossip and whatever, you know, just to tear down one another. And we're fighting with one another. And it's, and it's sickening to God. Because we don't have a fear or respect for who He is and the people that He saved in this room. He sent His Son and He died on the cross for the sins of everybody in this room. And sometimes we assault other children of God that Jesus died for on the cross. And it's sickening to God. 
And so when you fear God, you will like no provision in life. You'll like no profit and you'll like no peace. What I'm afraid of is that many times we're, we don't have that peace because we don't truly fear God like we should. Then last of all, you will lack no power in life. As uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, uh, the Lord said to Paul, He said, um, when you are weak, I'm paraphrasing, uh, when you are weak, I am strong, so depend on me. My, my grace is sufficient for thee. Uh, in verses 15 and 16, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The thing is, is that when you fear the Lord, people will abandon you. I remember when I first was saved and I started living for the Lord. So the friends I used to run around with, I didn't tell them, I can't hang out with you anymore because I'm a Christian. They stopped hanging out with me. Okay, They abandoned me because they didn't want to be a part of what I was doing. But also our strength can weaken as well. But the fact of the matter is, in verses 15 and 16, especially verse 15, God will never leave you nor forsake you when you fear Him. His eyes are always on the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. And the thing is, is as we talked about peace, I didn't talk about this aspect, but a lot of times we pursue peace uh, with unbelievers, especially, and it's not possible. And in that case... It's not possible and they will ridicule and mistreat God-fearing people in the workplace, in the neighborhood, or even in their family. Maybe some of you have endured that. However, you have no reason to stop fearing God because you're afraid of man. Um, God is still in control and you must sanctify or set apart the Lord in your own heart and devote yourself to Him because God has given you an opportunity to witness for Him. Let me read these verses in 1 Peter chapter 3. The rest in verses 15 and 16 are also quoted here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Sound familiar? But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, and who is He that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror or their oppression. Neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, a fear of God. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good lifestyle in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And so it's an opportunity for us when we stand up and we devote ourselves to the Lord and we submit to His Word and we seek His will for our life where we're going to be put in positions that we're going to be alone. We're going to stand alone. But the fact of the matter is is that your words will testify of who God truly is. And your ways will testify of who He is. And God will use your testimony to convict the unsaved of the sin in their own life and their own unbelief. And many of them will reject that uh, conviction, but God can still use you even in times of suffering. We read last week of the believers in Russia who have legislation that has just been passed that finds not only foreigners, but even natives there in, in Russia 
around uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg that will put them in prison and find them for worshiping God in a public setting. And those believers are not praying that they would just be out of suffering, but they're praying for faithfulness. And that's how we need to be praying for them too. That they would remain strong to the Lord and that they would stand up. Not that we pray for suffering to come into our lives, but when it comes, that we would pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world. But even here in Akron, is it possible for you to take flack for standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Just because we live in the Eastern Plains and it's more conservative politically doesn't mean that it that people trust in the Bible as God's Word and that they believe in Jesus alone for salvation and that they fear God. Because we know that's not true. But are you willing, as we conclude this message, are you willing to choose to fear God when everyone around us is calling you to do the contrary? In verse 9, he opened up this section, O fear the Lord, ye His saints, His people. I think that's where we have to start, don't we? Do you belong to the Lord? You can't fear the Lord if you don't even know Him. You're not one of His children. John 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received Jesus Christ, to them gave He power, the authority to become the children of God, even those that believe on His name. And my first question to you is, as we talk about fearing the Lord, have you humbled yourself and surrendered yourself to the fact that you can't save, earn your way to heaven? You can't save yourself from the wrath of God? That is the first step towards fearing God, is realizing that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and you can't save yourself. And so, have you become a child of God? Second of all, are you a saint? I know I've shared this illustration, but I just love it. J. Vernon McGee shared it. It's original with him, I guess. But there was a little kid that was in a church, and they had stained glass windows on the side of the church. They had, and as they were taking this tour with the Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher um, was going through, and the kid says, "Who are those people on the stained glass windows?" Oh, and, and the Sunday school teacher says, "Oh, those are saints." And um, later on, when the little girl got home, parents says, "What did you learn about today in Sunday school?" Well, we went through the church sanctuary and we saw these people in the windows and they're called saints and uh, they're called saints because the light shines through them you know it reflects through them and you know that's truly what a saint is and uh, J. Vernon McGee said this too he says in this world there's only two kinds of people they're saints and they're ain'ts and I hope that you become a saint and you're not an ain't but if you are a saint is the light of God's word shining through you. Do you truly fear God? And if not, what's holding you back? Whatever that is, I want to encourage you to deal with that today and choose to fear God. And I promise you, you're not going to miss out. You are already missing out if you're not fearing God in your life. If you're not devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word and His will for your life, you're missing out. Sorry. I mean, we, I mean the ones in here that are living and they're surrendered to the Lord... We're saying, yeah, come on, follow us as we follow Christ because you're missing out. But you're believing the lie, I'm going to miss out if I do. But you've got to stop believing that lie. Because Psalm 34, David says it right here in verses 9 through 12. They who fear the Lord, they will not want one good thing. You will not lack provision, you will not lack 
power, you will not lack profit, you will not lack peace. But maybe you're missing all that today. I encourage you to fear the Lord. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to encourage you to respond to the Word of God this morning. We're going to have uh, Jessica play a couple of verses of a song. I want to encourage you just to talk to the Lord. If you uh, are an ain't this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, I encourage you to do that this morning. Um, The Bible says that we all are sinners. I'm a sinner just like you. But Jesus came and He died in my place and your place. So you don't have to suffer for your sin. I mean, that is the best gift ever. And you you will have the greatest reason to give thanks this Thanksgiving if you trust in the Lord alone for salvation this morning. So I encourage you, if you haven't done so already in your life, that you would put your trust in Jesus and what He did on the cross as sufficient to save you from your sins. Christians, I want to encourage you to deal with the Lord. Many of us can be influenced by this culture and conform to this culture. We can listen to the voices and the fog and we can stop fearing God. And that may be a case in your life. You say, Preacher, I, I haven't been fearing God in my life. One of those things that you mentioned, I, I don't have that. I've been lacking that. I want to encourage you just to talk to the Lord. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to confess anything to me. The Bible says if you confess to the Lord, that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I encourage you to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I messed up. I seek your forgiveness. I ask that you would restore me to fellowship with you and that you would help me to experience life as you want me to live it. Christians, as you're dealing with the Lord, while Christians are praying, maybe you'd say, Pastor, I haven't trusted in Jesus as my Savior and This morning, a while ago, when you were talking about trusting in Jesus for salvation, I did that. Can I ask you if you have, this morning, trusted in Jesus alone for salvation? Would you raise your hand? I'd like to know about that so I can pray for you. No one's looking around. We're not going to pick you out, I promise. I'd like to pray for you because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior today. You've got you got a battle ahead of you. The Christian life's not an easy life, but it is a blessed life. And the devil's going to attack you, and I'd like to pray for you. sing the last verse of that 